I'm Jen Brown, and you are listening to the World is Wrong podcast. Now, I have a question for you. Yes? Did you watch all the way through the credits? I haven't watched it in a really long time. Um, oh, you didn't get it? I thought you were going to watch it today. That's why. Uh, so you haven't no, seen No, I did. Oh. I did, but I think I forgot to. Hold on. Let me. I thought I let it run. I had never watched till the end, and I just happened to, and there's a whole post-credit What? Sequence. Have I never? I, what the fuck is wrong with me? I, oh my god! Well, I'm doing it right now because I, uh, I had no idea. Okay. How did I not? I even I let it run and I let it run for a while and I was like, well, I guess nothing's gonna happen. I guess I don't remember a post thing and so I turned it off and now I'm like, you ding dong. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Okja. Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And my name is Brian Connolly, and I'm the other host. You're the other, other host, because today we're having a guest co-host who chose this film. That is the fabulous Jen Brown, your fellow Austinite. Tell me something you know about Jen Brown. She's a very nice lady. Uh, the few t- I've not interacted with her a lot, but a few times I have, usually around the Alamo Draft House. She's just, you know, just very pleasant to be around. Knows a lot about horror movies, way more than I ever will. And, uh, and I'm really happy that she's back for season two. I, I feel like we're, get, we're starting to get into who kind of our repeat guests are going to be in the rest of our lives. It's nice. It's nice to have friends, Andras. Yeah, it is. Whether that friend is a genetically modified super pig or <laughs> Jen Brown. And uh, Jen has some very exciting news that uh, that was announced basically in between when she and I recorded this episode and when we're recording this intro. She has a show called Genre Graveyard that she hosts with uh, her co-host Phantasma. And they had the show. It was on El Rey, the network, until Mm -hmm. El Rey shut down. And now it has been picked up and you can watch it for free on the Roku channel, either their website or their app. And if you love genre film, you won't be able to miss, or sorry, you you, you certainly could miss it if you wanted to, but you won't want to miss unique interviews with acclaimed indie directors such as Nacho Vigalondo, Issa Lopez, and more. So be sure to tune in. And I'm not reading that. I just made that up <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, so, but I, it's it's a really it's a it's a fun show, and I really I, I do I do recommend it. Anything that Jen does, I want to support, and you should as well. So let's go to a clip now, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll talk with you about it after I'm done talking with Jen. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. began earlier in the day with a highly organized pignapping attempt made by the Animal Liberation Front. 
I wouldn't worry too much, Luce. The ALF technically failed. They weren't even able to take the product. It's a kerfuffle over nothing. We shouldn't make a big deal out of it. It actually means our security here in the U.S. is so airtight, they wouldn't even think about breaking in. Just why they went all the way to Korea. The ALF hasn't been in the headlines for a number of years, but they're back in the spotlight after today's chaotic events. Well, the good news is that the pig is on its way to New York. Right. The best Super Pig Fest will continue as planned. <laughs> Significant damage to Miranda's stock price seems inevitable. Yep. Miranda is completely fucked. Miranda, that's your current employer, correct? Yep. But I don't care. They fucked up me. <laughs> they fucked up. I know what they're calling me, those ALF fuckers. They're calling me a psychopath. You're not a psychopath. They're the psychopaths, right, Miss Miranda? They're narcissists. Do narcissists wear balaclavas? Ugh, crazy radicals have been calling me a psychopath since the 60s. You're a psychopath. Your sister was a psychopath. Your father was a psychopath. Well, Daddy was a psychopath, Frank. I mean, that's hardly an unfair slur. What did you do in the war, Daddy? You manufactured the napalm that made everybody's skin fall off. Oksha, the last film directed by Bong Joon-ho before his Oscar-winning Parasite in 2019. Even though it made little impact in 2017, I wouldn't be surprised if when people start digging back into Bong Joon-ho's filmography, as I did in preparation for this conversation, it becomes one of his most popular. I had never even heard of it until it was suggested to me by today's guest co-host, Jen Brown, now, having given myself a crash course in the director's filmography, it might be my favorite. Okja is a monster movie in the mold of King Kong, but instead of a giant ape killed for his love of a blonde lady, we have a genetically modified super pig who is saved by the unstoppable force of a child's love. It's a film with a cruel and elegant sense of humor and a whole lot of sweetness ground into the mix of this impossible burger of a movie written by the director with Frank screenwriter John Ronson. In brief, Tilda Swinton plays twin sisters, the daughters of a famed industrialist psychopath who run an international meat corporation that has genetically modified super pigs to dominate the meat market. One of these pigs, Okja, of the title, is raised by a devoted girl named Mija, played by An Seo Yun, who lives with her grandfather in the jungly mountains of South Korea. We spend a good early chunk of the film cavorting with the girl and the pig, including a great little action-adventure set piece where Okja saves her life. When the corporation, represented by Jake Gyllenhaal's Johnny Wilcox, comes for their property, it leads to Mija's journey. Along the way, she is helped, hindered, and helped again by a group of animal rights activists led by Paul Dano with Stephen Yun and Lily Collins, who you may remember from Rules Don't Apply. Will Mija save her pig? There will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film already and you don't want to know if the pig lives or dies, stop now, because we're going to unpack it all in my conversation with Jen Brown. Now, welcome to The World is Wrong, Jen! 
lover too, Andres? Uh, I I am. I am. I I'm not. Maybe not in the sense you mean. <laughs> maybe not in the sense you mean. Uh, oh, oh, oh! Bless you, Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> bless you. Never. Not, I don't mean never before, but he is. He is one of those uh, actors who very often plays serious roles, but it is painfully, beautifully clear when he chooses things that he wants to do that he just wants to be a big old goober. He loves it. He loves goobing it up. And whole Nelly, is he a big old gooey gobstopper in this movie? It's amazing. Yes. Now, now Jen, now you now you you turn me on to this film. Nary a week ago, I had never heard of this film. And I, to, I, I was so surprised by that. And I have to be honest, I had really not given uh, Bong Joon-ho the attention that I, that every that the whole world obviously has. And so it was a well, but it was a great week <laughs> week of getting to watch rewatch ones that I hadn't really put in context, watch ones that mm-hmm. I had uh, had heard of but hadn't given the time and in the case of mother watched one that I'd never that I'd never heard of at all and right. uh and wow yeah you know this guy's pretty good uh so <laughs> but I don't want to be that guy the pot like I really hate when I listen to a podcast and the host <laughs> is talking about a director that I've been following for years and they just are like hey you know Paul Thomas Anderson's great I you know I just <laughs> I just binge watched all of his films last last weekend, and I think, like, okay, good. I hope you better have someone good to talk to because <laughs> you're useful uh, in terms of having maybe having some good questions. So I hope I'm gonna I'll try and do that. But you turned me on to this film. Let's talk about first. We're in the month of Wrongtober. I asked yes. you to pick a film that you felt both that the world was wrong about and mm-hmm. that. Uh, the way that one of the ways the world is wrong about it is that it is a horror film, but people don't usually think of it as a horror film. Would you like to unpack why you thought it qualified in, on those on that level? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, before I get into the uh, why it qualifies as a horror film, um, I'll get I'll just say right off why it qualifies as just an amazing film in general. Uh I have been obsessed personally with Bong Joon-ho's work for uh, over a decade at this point, easily, um, close to two. I The Host was the first movie of his I ever saw, and I was absolutely obsessed with it from the minute I saw it. I forced everyone I could to see it, prefacing it with, no, not the Stephanie Meyer movie. Uh, This is a very beautiful, uh, horrifying, uh, touching, but also unbelievably hilarious monster movie uh, from South Korea. And people are like, oh, okay." I'm like, yes, very different movie. Um, And since then, I've just, you know, followed him to the ends of the earth, I would, at least film wise. He really does, and and you touched on it when you were describing Okja uh, just in the beginning, the way that he combines, and this honestly goes for all of his films, but uh, especially for Okja, his unique combination of humor, 
along with very, very serious issues um, and this beautiful lens and this absolute wholehearted sincerity that's really beautiful and it's it's a lot of stuff to try to balance in one movie and there's very few directors that do it as deftly as he does and every single one of his movies are almost impossible to stick to one genre because they defy uh, all genre a lot of his movies do it's it's hard to peg it with one and but I will say the reason why I personally believe Okja to be a horror film um, and very worthy of this. And when you tasked me with thinking of, of something, when I really sat down and thought about it, this was the first movie that popped into my head. When I really considered it, it was the first option that came to my head and was like, oh, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, the first reason for it is that for four years now, marking when this movie came out in 2017 to now, I no longer eat pig. And that is a direct result of being saddened and terrified into realizing <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> uh, and this movie was definitely the nail in the coffin on pork products for me personally. I had been a vegetarian previously um, for about seven years, and then I stopped because I was too poor to be a vegetarian and get protein. Uh, I was also Mexican, and pork is like the number one food group <laughs> for us and in my family. Um, you're no longer poor, but you're still Mexican. Right. Exactly. Okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, You've said them both in the was... past tense. I just wanted to make sure. You, you had, you had... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay. So clearly, these are both present, still present, and yet somehow you've met. You've, you're still willing to forego. Oh, yeah. Well, let's let let let's back up here for a second, because I want to like sort of before we go fully down into the conversation about yes, vegetarianism, yes, 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 yes. I want us to come back to the film a little bit, just on the the horror level of the film. People yes. gonna make whatever yes. choices they're gonna make. No, oh, you know, absolutely. It's like. You know, you watch a movie where there's some guy killing a bunch of people. I don't need to explain to people that we, we they probably shouldn't go and kill a bunch of people. That's the, oh, no, that's no, the no, monster no, no, no. in this movie. And in this case, the monster in this movie, and this is one of the things that I thought was so interesting about it in, the, in your suggestion, is that the monster, demonstrably, huh, <laughs> <I didn't laughs> do that, what is Okja, the gigantic pig. But at right. the same time... That is, that's what the wonderful trick this movie does, which is why I thought of it like King Kong, is mm -hmm. that, no, Oksha is an innocent part thing that is taken from her place and her people and the real monster. And this is where, it, it like, what is the monster in this movie? Because there are people who, who are monstrous in this film. There are characters who are monstrous. There are characters who are sympathetic, who do monstrous things. Yep. There's a system that is monstrous that we're taught that we're told from the outset is sort of an inherited. It goes back generations. There is the, a, yep. a system that is deeply implanted. 
just as the you know as uh, Mija and her grandfather are, are deeply implanted in their worlds, which there's relatively little horror there except for the the horror of potentially falling off a mountain, which is right. what a scene. Um, oh, God, so, so good. I mean, it's just, you yeah. know, it starts off and you're like, oh, my gosh, look at this sweet child adventure story about mm-hmm. a girl and her super pit. Like, it, yeah, it just could have just stayed so there. Right. And sweet and... <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah. So let's 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 delve in a little bit to the horrific aspects of yes. of this film. You want to start with the with like you, you kind of wanted to you know, he was sort of like a a heat-seeking missile to the performance of Jake Gyllenhaal and i feel like <laughs> he his arrival on the scene is sort of there's the opening where we see Tilda Swinton 1 um right. or like the 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 good the Gwendolyn the, the Gwendolyn version of <laughs> of uh Tilda Swinton's character in this yes. uh, at the beginning and that's the the monster monster but the first appearance in the jungle of the monster so just kind of dressed like charles groden in the uh 1970s king kong comes up the mountain wheezing and doing a great joke because you you hear his voice and it's it's you hear this high voice and you see these two women but they're not making any sounds and then he emerges and he's the one who's talking like this All right. Oh, fucking hair, goddammit! Tell me that one girl just went to. Any more, Meiji? All the other super pigs were on Flatland, accessible by car. Japan's one was five minutes from the airport. You, I noticed that you had to leave the fucking mountaintop super big till the end because you knew that the climb would rile me. Well, guess what? I'm riled. <sighs> yeah, it, I, uh, <laughs> Let's talk about him as a monster because he is. He yeah. is an absolute monster. Yeah. Uh, but also that particular scene uh, is so, so specific to Bong Joon-ho. This is the perfect example of the sort of humor that he does so perfectly well, where he takes a normal scenario, you know, a normal situation that anyone else would just film like, ah, they arrive up the mountain, everything's okay. But he puts the reality into the situation, but to such an, to such an overdone degree that it becomes beautiful physical comedy um very much it's very much like the scene in uh the host where the family's grieving and it starts off and they're all grieving very normally and then it progresses to so over the top that it turns into comedy and that's very much what this what this opening scene is is of these people and it's also clearly making fun of westerners (laughs) inability to be able to handle the real real world and how unprepared they were for the reality of this trip um and then we get 
the gift that is Jake Gyllenhaal in this film <laughs> that is always on. He is never not on. And you get the idea that Johnny Wilcox, his character, who, you know, is very much, you know, your uh, famous zoologist, you know, TV personality person, that he probably started out very genuine and really loving animals. And as his, and this is never stated in the movie, but it feels very obvious from his performance and the way that the character uh, proceeds is that he has been corrupted by uh, the company that he's, you know, essentially sold his soul to and has become hypnotized by celebrity in that he really cared about these animals and now it's much more selfish love than it is a genuine caring. Um, but that, that was whittled down by time. And again, we don't see it or we're not told that specifically, but personally, I feel that that is very apparent. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there's, everyone's on a, on a spectrum of their relationship to the monster in this film, which is, you know, which is capitalism and the meat yeah. industry. And, and that's, I mean, all of his movies, <laughs> all of, right. almost all of his films all touch on that. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I, 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 I wonder about, like, I feel like I've, I've known people, he may have been good hearted, but his interest. Oh, he's not anymore. His, and that's I think what his I'm interest, was, but it, yeah. it's people, and I want to say people like that because I've been a, I have strands of that in my own personality, and where they mm-hmm. and they were stronger at different times. the The ultimate goal of getting the attention and the gig and being the face of something is so much more. It's all performative. I mean, I think that's yep. kind of what you see in. Yep different degrees when we get to my favorite characters in the, my favorite characters in the film are the ALF. I mean, I guess yes. Ocha and Mija, but I was just well, thinking, yeah. but the ALF group are when they, whenever they're involved in something, I'm so joyful. And at the same time, I feel like there's something like the criticism of a certain kind of activist. Like, I feel like they fit the mold that you're trying to fit on Johnny Wilcox a little bit better in a way that like they're corrupted in a way that is like real and kind of hits home and you feel it. Whereas this guy, you know, he's a showman and there's again, nothing wrong with being a showman, but he's like that, just that scene with the, with his first scene with Okja, he's like, he's having real emotions, but he can't even. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that back in the past, he initially got into maybe in the this. deep past, like he, when he was eight. And that's what I mean. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking yeah. about That yeah. in the very, very beginning. But then it wasn't that he loved animals. What truly happened was he realized he loved himself and the performity way more of it. And he turns into an absolute vile person. But there are hints that at some point he used to be a human being. Well, he, well, but yeah. he was corrupted beyond all corruption and and is just given in to what he's become. Um, he's and such it's an very, odd and it's wonderful a very character, fun, though. 
it's such a fun character, like in an evil way. So, uh, so I guess we're on to the Mirando Corporation, and you know, yes. I guess in a room when Jake Gyllenhaal's character is in a room with Tilda Swinton and Ugh. Giancarlo Esposito. He really doesn't look like a monster so much because no, these, he doesn't. <laughs> like you want to talk about the true monsters in this film, in, even more than Tilda Swinton. You know, I, I, I guess one of the monsters that's hidden in this film there's there's two things. One, Giancarlo Esposito yes. is yes. the mastermind monster of this film. The character Absolutely. he was supposed to be played by Bill Nye, I'm told, and Bill oh, Nye shit. dropped out. I didn't and know that. So the so there's two there's two bits of horror. One is just his character and how much and how easygoing he is and how much he's sort of like a norm he's just he's a normal person. He's not monstrous and crazy. He's he's Giancarlo Esposito, which is the other part of the horror. How come he there has yeah. never been a movie that he's been the star of? He's been in every fucking movie I know, in the world. Right? He's so good. Has nobody just I mean, I went through his IMDB, maybe I missed something. But I don't think he has ever starred in a movie, and that is insane. And if he has, yeah, we haven't seen it, and that's crazy. I agree with you. He I needs his boardwalk empire. He needs his Steve Buscemi. Like, I get it, he's a character actor, but eventually mm-hmm. every character actor. Well, Gets a chance, he, like the good ones who are who are that big. Like he stars in TV shows, kind of as the heavy. Yeah. But I want a yeah. movie mm. with Giancarlo Esposito yeah. playing the fucking Denzel Washington old guy role. No offense, Denzel, yeah. I love you, but one of those, you know, like he needs a, a, a nobody, a Bob Odenkirk nobody. He needs some. He needs a. Oh, fucking I agree. Movie. Anyway, I anyway, I agree. That's the horror. That's that's just my own personal horror that I see every time I see this great actor not be not getting (laughs) underutilized. Underutilized. But yep. But let's okay. But the but yes, the mon the real monster, a two headed monster of Tilda Swinton as Lucy and Nancy Mirando. Yep. Did you did you feel like he she was riffing on Elizabeth Holmes? Oh God! It it well okay. It feels like she's riffing on a combination of people, right? So you've got Elizabeth Holmes. Um, there's also a little bit of the Walton Walmart thing because it was taken over by the younger women who are really, really, really trying their best to repair this very negative image uh, that's done, been done to uh, the company and trying their best um and so there's inspiration i believe from a lot of i think target has very similar uh or just just a lot of corporations where the younger generations are starting to you know take power and try to right some of the wrongs that were done by their elders um and but in this particular case uh clearly realizes that that's impossible without lying um at least in the way that her you know Mirando corporation her family want things to continue running um so it really it does feel it feels inspired by but not not direct 
there's not a direct correlation. Uh, I think it's bits and parts taken from real life people. I thought that Nancy Miranda felt like if uh, Hillary Clinton was played by Cloris Leachman's character in High Anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about fruit cups. <laughs> She's doing that thing with her mouth. Uh, I Tilda is my motherfucking queen. I that woman. I'm so obsessed with her as an actor. She's been my absolute inspiration. Uh, I mean, I started acting before I saw her things, but you know, as when I first became aware of her work um, in my late teens and early twenties, I was like, "Yep, that, uh huh, that, that's what I, I want to be." That <laughs> she is, she is just utter perfection and her ability to portray these two women so so very differently um and to do caricatures without making them feel like caricatures are her strength she really is pretty fucking brilliant at it um because there are lots of tropey uh, qualities to both of the characters that she plays, yet somehow they, I don't mean come off genuine as in they are genuine people, like in their actions, <laughs> but genuine to that character, if you get what I'm saying. Like the Hall character, particularly the Lucy Mirando. Yes. It's, it's all performative. Yes. You have to assume, I I generally, this is our attitude on the on the show. You assume that when someone is a director who is that much of in control of their instrument, the points that they're making are intentional. Yeah. Uh, or they're intentionally letting them hang there for you to think about. Oh yes. Or else they would have edited them in a different way oh, yeah. to not leave that hanging in the air. So this is like this is a particular kind a take on a particular kind of American. Yep. Because these are both American characters. Oh yeah. And they're Amer they're they're sort of ugly American stereotypes oh, yeah. that are that he is that he has chosen two great actors to turn up to eleven on. <laughs> like he's not saying, okay, portray the reality of these situations oh, or these no, types no, no, of people. No. He's like, no, no, turn it up, keep going, keep going. <laughs> that's what I want. That's where I want you. And, but yes, the thing you are, is, yeah. in a weird way, and I don't. Maybe I'm not. I, I know I'm not the only person because I've talked to other peers that feel the same way. But in certain circumstances, when you turn up the dial to that extreme level, it actually shows the truth in a brighter light. If that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's just because it's so exaggerated it allows you to be able to see the horrible truth behind the reality of it a little bit clearer than if it was just played naturalistically yeah yeah oh, it just keeps you in it, it keeps you interested yeah. it's a, it, it is a film it, again like i said i'm i'm like i'm i'm late to the party <laughs> but i am not but I am walking in and just being like, oh, wow, this is someone 
who has so many tools at his disposal. Yes. And it's just great. Uh, it's so... And this... I, I love this film so much. The Like, how... It's making a point that is dear to my heart mm-hmm. on so many levels. And at the same time, none of that matters. That's actually what maybe if, the, if I was aware of it at all, maybe that's part of what might have kept me away. Whereas what's what I'll always remember about this film are the funny moments, yep. the heart, the like the the moments of like the sort of advent action adventure kind of moments, the like the the satirical moments and some of the like and some of the horrific stuff but it's horrific stuff that i don't feel is wanton that's when i don't like yeah yeah horrific stuff in movies when it just feels like this is you know you know it's just like torture porn right kind of right thing. right and my my you know my sensitivity oh, We've talked oh about yes this, oh I'm, yes i'm very but but if it's something that i feel like i feel like i need it it's worth it to have my nose ground into it a little bit it's it's good, and we're, and you, as you were saying, with meat uh, and meat, the combination of meat and capitalism, yeah. and genetic engineering, right. you know, and <laughs> all of these things are areas where I feel like, oh, that's a that's that's worth making a fifty million dollar movie about, right, right. Which we, I, I, I don't want to get too sidetracked into this, but I don't know. So you look on IMDb or Wikipedia and it says this film cost 50 million and only made 2 million. But Netflix that's on that that's at the box office, right? Because this film is on Netflix so anyone can see it and nobody's like so there's no yeah. way to judge. I think it's misleading if you look at it and think this film Oh, it's it's very misleading <laughs> also because Netflix never releases right. its particular so, right? So like we have so no basically, idea. This so Netflix kind of treated this treats this film the way that the Mirando Corporation hopes to treat Oksha. And <laughs> what we're trying to do was bring this film back to the mountain. So uh, Yes. So yes. I guess in that case, yes. let's move on to the animal animal liberation front because goddamn they are fun. They are led oh. by Paul Dano playing Jay and Steven Yun, the translator who plays K. So we got Jay and K. And then we've got uh, Blonde, Silver, and Red, which is Daniel Henshaw, Devin Bostick, Silver. And he's the one who's fasting to himself to death. And then uh, Lily Collins as Red. I didn't even recognize her in the first, the first time I watched it. And then I saw the credits. And I was like, holy, holy crap. This is another reason people are going to come back and see this film. Because I think she's going to be... She's already something of a star. But I think she's something special. So... Yeah, let's talk about the Animal Liberation Front because there's a there's a lot going on there. Oh, there's so much going on there. And oh my heavens, I mean, Paul Dano, just the perfect actor to just ooze sincerity out of every pore and just absolute, oh, it's just, it's, it's almost hilarious how genuine he is. <laughs> I love it. It's so beautiful. It is, it's so gorgeous. And there, it's, and again, this is what makes Bong Joon-ho such a brilliant director, is that he understands how to 
make fun of his heroes without discrediting them um to give them humility and while while AFL is uh, ALF. Or, sorry Alf. ALF Alf <laughs> while, while Alf uh are heroes um they're not villains they are not he, they, Bong Joon-ho does not spare them in criticism, which is which is really beautiful. But also, uh, it it doesn't demonize them either, which I really love the way that they're treated in this film. Um, well, again, sort of thinking about it. So this is another. Okay, these are Americans, right? This is another kind of American. Yeah. These are the kind. Yep. So there's their intentions are good. But you scratch yes. the surface, and there's not there's a lot of different things going on. There's one character. There's yes. there's one character who's particularly weak physically. There's another character who is lacking integrity at, on a very you know foundational level. There is yeah. one character who seems so peaceful, but is also capable of incredible violence. Yes. Uh, there's just like, and there's just a general like. They don't have their shit together. And I yeah. think, and forgive me if I'm like, if I'm engaging in Orientalism here in any way, but I just feel like if you're part of a culture that has a relationship to something that is older than 200 years or even, or 100 years or five minutes ago, <laughs> as we have in the United States, and you look at Americans and mm-hmm. you look at them best, the most best well intentioned, and you're still like, and you're still children which is kind of what's going on with these characters they're kind of children playing at revolution and they may do something yes, good yes but in the end and when we get to talking about the grandfather who i think is one of the really really like a very small part of the film but a really important a hugely important part of the film there's something mm-hmm. about him that even in his duplicity there's more integrity to him than all of the ALF people put together. Even though they're doing the right thing, they're just, they're probably not, like, it's one step forward, two steps back with them, kind of, it feels like. Uh, and, right. as the, and of course, the actors and everyone who's making the movie gets to have fun with it because they're funny. They're like, they're the comedy and I love the, that their comedy yes. is all about gentleness. Like, I love that they apologize before yes. they board. And they show yes. up, str- you know, dropping flowers and, you Ugh. know, telling the guy to buckle up. Buckle up! Buckle! Uh, buckle! It's, it's the, it's I just so love them. Great. You want to hug I them like little, so cute much. little babies. Yes! <laughs> you're like, oh, you're so precious. Oh, you little idealist. Oh, my God. The world hasn't destroyed you yet. Oh, my God. You know, it's very, it's very sweet. Um, And they do have good They have attention. a whole scene. There's a whole scene in this that's all about consent. I, I, I loved it. Yes. I loved that you have a, oh, like a, like a three, so... it must be like a five minute scene. Devoted to a it's consent so conversation. Good. When have you ever seen that in a movie? Like just that alone. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Is, was, uh, yeah, I really liked it the first time and then I watched it the second time and I was just in <sighs> awe of, like the first time it was just there, but then the second time you're like, wow, you really spent a lot of time on this one thing and you yeah. obviously think this is as important as I do. Like it just, I think that's part of it. Yes. Yeah. 
and I guess this is probably true of all of his work, but again, I need to give more thought to all of it if I could, before I speak authoritatively. But with this, there's just a, such a strong sense of affinity that I feel for the point of view of this that is not, it's not super compassionate in what we think of, obviously, as compassion, but ultimately it is. Mm-hmm. The film hurts where it's supposed to hurt. And it mocks yes. where it's supposed to mock. Yes. Yep. But yep. it's all very, like its aim is true, right? It's really, mm-hmm. at least for me, when oh, it's making fun of me, I'm welcoming the fun it's making. Yes. Because yes. I agree. And if you don't, yep. then, you know, I don't know. Which which member of ALF do you feel like you, you relate to most? Oh, my gosh. Uh Whew. That's difficult. Uh, I uh, personally, I feel like I'm a little bit of red and a little bit of J. Um, when I get a little too high and mighty and full of myself, <laughs> I definitely have J vibes. Uh, cause I am, I am a gentle person, <laughs> but I, I can. I think we all we I, all want to be myself. Jay. We all want to be Jay. We all want to be Jay. I'm definitely we Devin. We all want to be Jay. I'm fasting. <laughs> I'm making a big deal about it and be like, I can do this. <laughs> That's oh that oh that character. I feel so. <sighs> but they're cartoon oh. characters. They do cartoon character things. They throw they marbles yeah. out of the back of the truck yep. to make the people fall yes. over to klezmer music. I mean, it's they they use umbrellas to block tranquilizer <laughs> darts it. in it's that so much fun in that oh. utterly amazing, so incredible scene. Yeah, uh, in the mall with uh, you build up my senses playing in the background. <laughs> It's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so uh so and then the other thing that's really we're going to we're spoiling stuff. So, uh, let's talk I want Yeah. The whole idea that translation is sacred in a film that is yes. by uh lingual, you know that Yep. I feel like there's that's one of those things that if a filmmaker does it and you don't like the filmmaker, then it gets made fun of. And if you do like the filmmaker, then you let him get away with it. But that seems like a very direct communication to his audience and the people who work on his, like the dis- distributors of his films and the people yeah. who make translations of his work. Yeah. And... I loved how much it, the the film leaned into that. Like even Steven Yeun's character when he jumps out of the out of the truck after he's betrayed yeah. her. What's what's his line to her? Yeah. It's um I, I wrote it down here. Oh, you need a try learning uh, English. It opens new doors. Try learning English. <laughs> yep. Um But and with with Steven Yeun specifically, with his character specifically, what I love about his character so much though is that they are able to uh, receive redemption. And his character is actually the only character in the movie that has a full, like, character cycle. 
You know what I mean? They He starts out uh, idealist. He transgresses because he thinks that it's the good thing to do for, uh, for mm-hmm. Alf. Um, but then immediately learns his lesson that that was a terrible, terrible Oh, and thing I loved how in another movie that, that guy would lie for a while and it would keep us on the hook. And yes. he, he, I love that this yeah. movie just was like, as soon as he realized that it was, that yep. he was in the wrong, yep. he just admitted it. I Said fucking, it. again, yep. I loved it. Like the, con- and oh. well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. And that he took his yeah. punishment. He realized the wrong stance that he had taken. And then he put all of his energy into correcting it. And I personally feel that his character is in a way the most heroic of the film because he actually learned lessons. (laughs) Whereas almost none of the other characters actually really learn anything. Um, and oh grow from well, it. I think you're. I think you're writing has... off Grandpa a little bit because. <laughs> well, no, I. That's okay. I get. I, I see what you're saying. Like... No, I. I'm. I'm being. Uh, yeah, I'm being difficult. You're, of course, you're right. <laughs> you are, but I'm saying in full. We didn't get to see a full trans. Uh, uh, or the full um, uh, evolution of Grandpa. Uh, Whereas with Steven Yeun's character, it's it's right there. I mean, it's it follows all the lines. In any other movie, he would be the lead who learns the lesson. But in this film, the person who learns the lesson is one of the secondary characters, which I think is really beautiful because in a way, Steven is us, is the audience. Um, like, often the character that you put your shoes in or that the uh, screenwriter or author or playwright want you to identify with is the lead character, right? Um, that's usually the one who gets that progression, that story uh, treatment. And in this, it is not the case. They don't want you to, or at least in my in my opinion, it doesn't feel like the script is asking you to put yourself in Mija's eyes or in Jake's eyes or in Tilda's, it's very much like your Steven Yuen. <laughs> um, I really do, I really do feel like that he is the stand in for all so of I'm, us. So I, it sounds like maybe you're saying that the one you relate to the most is Steven Yuen's character. Well, yeah, know what? You're right. You're 100% right. Steven Ewan's character is who I relate to the most because he's the one we see fail, admit his failure, and instead of being bitter and Yeah, in another movie he would it, also go and join the wrong side and do something. Yep. And then he would yep. have to have this moment of yep. apology when mm-hmm. he goes down like but it oh uh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And instead you know he does the right thing and never is never asked to be celebrated for learning his lesson and i think that's such an important point that i feel a lot of people will miss it's the well it's the opposite he's not he okay so if what if, if what leads to the monstrosity of 
the Jake Gyllenhaal character and the Tilda Swinton character is their the performative nature and even for a lot of the ALF, mm-hmm. the performative nature of yeah. their act of whatever they're doing that they're pretending of to be activism. good in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then on the other side of it, sort of what you're talking about with the Stephen Yun character with K is that he does like he does his work for the sake of the work. Even when even the thing he mm-hmm. did wrong, he did in silence. It wasn't to sh- and when Again, when he realized yeah. it was wrong, he didn't care about how it made him look to admit it. Nope. And this, these are all, yeah, they are all heroic qualities in this film. I still think, yes. again, you know, there is a there is an actual hero in this film, Mija. Right, but he's the one that gets the hero's I, journey, I, like in its standard, in its standard effect you know what I mean like Misha Misha never does anything wrong Misha never learns a bad lesson like Misha's just pure you know what I mean um that's all I'm saying the like the the standard hero's journey and folly and the learning and the growing all of that is for Kay okay I'm just wondering why you don't want to talk about Misha oh I love Misha are you kidding me Misha's What's beautiful about Misha is she's the ideal. And the young actor actor who's playing her. Well, it's one of those things. You, casting, especially in a role like that, casting is everything. And and, and Bong Joon-ho is known uh, for really understanding how to help facilitate casting the correct young actors. Because in all of his movies... The casting of often it is a female uh, lead or female secondary. In the host, you have the the daughter. Um, in Snowpiercer, it's also a daughter. Uh, and the casting every time in all of his films with that character, which often tends to be female and preteen, is perfection. Um, and that's, you know, that that credit has to go to him and the casting director, because I know that Bong Joon-ho has a very, very heavy hand uh, and heavy say in casting because he uses a lot of the same actors in a lot of his movies. You can tell who he loves, even with his American actors like Tilda Swinton, very clearly for obvious reasons. Bong Joon-ho's going to love her. You know, she's already done two of his movies and I'm sure he would work with her again as soon as he could it's very clear that he appreciates the craft and the talent that certain actors can bring to a project which is what I love so much about him one of the things I love about him most is that he understands how important the right actor is and it's and to just really allow them to do what they do and it shows in Bija's performance it's beautiful it's understated but at the same time you know that everything she's doing she is can just her conviction is so strong and it never ever 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 falters and that's what's so beautiful about 
that character and also what he's saying about people in general when we're younger and how that can get lost as you grow old. That idealism and that, no, this is the right thing. Why would you even consider doing something different? <laughs> of course I'm going to go after Okja. That is my family. You know, uh, it's, she's, she's just so pure, but she's not weak. And it really shows how strong you can be when you're being vulnerable and honest. Where it really struck out, stuck out to me was in the action, when she goes into full-on action star mode. Yes. That I totally bought it. Like that's fil that's filmmaking, that's acting. It's a combination. Like you can't yeah. if it's not there, yep. you're really going uphill and sometimes the flaws are going to come through. When it's there, yep. even if you even if the director if the direction isn't there, you still some of the flaws are going to come through. All of these action scenes were just flawless and the places oh, where I absolutely. I needed to suspend disbelief I did so completely willingly because the hand was so sure. Like there's this moment yep, when yep. she's go when she goes it's going to fall off the cliff and she's holding onto the rope by one yes. hand and she grabs her bag and Ugh. puts it over her head and that's a moment of like that I like in another movie my brain goes come on you need both hands you would have just dropped the bag. But again, the sure-handedness of what got me there and yep. what goes after and that she's yeah. and they're doing all of this with you know it's CGI so they're doing it with some yeah. you know some guy dressed up as a snuffleupagus in the and yeah. all of these things <laughs> she's acting like it's there's not a phony moment and when it and again no, not a single when one. it is it's so intentional and just if you think about her mm -hmm. putting that bag over the top of her head and that shot and holding with one hand the feeling in your body of that shot is so good mm -hmm. that that's what yeah. I mean, that it invites you to suspend your disbelief and you do so totally willingly. Yep. And that's when, you know, you're in the hands of a master. And just oh, like Steven Yeun's character, I want to like apologize for not paying attention before. I got scared. People talked about the host. It was a monster <laughs> movie. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a scaredy cat. Uh, that movie oh, is so brilliant, yeah, it's and it's great. really about it's... family, and it's also a huge, like I was saying, all of his movies, massive social yeah, commentary. Everything um, great. He is the master yeah. of it. He is the absolute master of pitch-perfect social commentary. Um, oh, okay, oh. so uh, Ansio Yun was, was phenomenal in this. She's... Uh, I'm going to keep my eye out for, for, I hope she, I see her in other things. And, but I, I keep trying to get there because I'm kind of obsessed with the grandfather character in this film now, because right. the right. first time I watched it, I had the feelings you're supposed to have of just like frustration with him and the way he's just sort of laughing right. through all of it. It seems insulting yeah. yes. and demeaning and you're with her. Mm -hmm. And when she breaks the, when she has her sort of James Dean moment where she comes in, she takes right. the pig and she breaks the, the piggy bank. She's break, you know, she's taking pigs. She's breaking pigs. It's pigs, pigs, pigs all over the place. And yeah, fuck that guy. Um, 
then I watched it the second time and oh no he lost he lost his yeah. child and she's all that he had and he was trying to as misguided as it was to protect her well and he here's the thing this is what I love about this movie he did he did ultimately even though he's a fool I am a a sort of a a lowly but long time practicing Buddhist. And so I recognized maybe it was intentional or maybe it wasn't a parable that I was taught when I was much younger, which is about a young basically there's a young person who goes out on a journey and they're wearing this coat that their grandmother or someone like an elder in their family gave them. And I'm probably butchering the story, so for, forgive me because I'm aligning it with this. And he goes <laughs> and he has this adventure in the world and he ends up being to- like losing everything but this coat. And then at some point he finds that in the lining of the coat, his grandmother or whatever had sewn a precious jewel in there. So he was rich yes, all along, right. but he didn't know it. And the idea in the parable is that that's like your your inherent enlightenment that we all have this you know, this the nature of the buddha in ourselves mm-hmm. sewn into the lining of our coat and we don't know it we're walking around rich and we don't know it and so that she has like this insulting golden pig that we hate at the beginning <laughs> of when it's given to her yep. that at the end it is the thing that allows her to save oksha yeah and yes. save this movie because it would have been so sad if Oak Chen Oh, God, just the worst. And, but it's still <laughs> so, sad because all those other ones are going to die. And that's like such a heartbreaking right. scene. Right. Well, but also like it, it makes you it has it makes you wrestle with the fact that not everyone gets the same treatment. Right. But in this case, this foolish old man and his insulting gift were right. the key yep. to it was the only in the end. He was the ally that mattered. All these yeah. other ALF people trying to help and failing her and helping and failing and helping and failing ultimately didn't do more to help her than her goofy, frustrating grandfather back on the mountain. And I just love that. But it also wasn't his intention. Doesn't matter. That's what I, that's I think what is so great about it yes. is that it's. His intention was to love, was to be himself and love his uh, granddaughter and be on that mountain and do his thing. And he doesn't care if he looks good or doesn't look good. He's not performative. His intention is totally good. His, Mm -hmm. His thinking is totally fucked. It doesn't matter because... His action came from his intention, and it was right. this golden, this stupid golden pig. This stupid golden that pig. That he was able to give to this other stupid golden pig so that she <laughs> could get back the great, this treasure, and be back on the mountain and give us a happy ending. And goddamn, that's some great filmmaking and some great storytelling. Well, it is, but also... Yeah. It also is... An absolute highlighter as to why this is a horror film. Yes. Because in the end, the only thing that ended up mattering at all was money. Money, 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 money. And money 
and the pursuit of it is the ultimate villain. <laughs> um, it's ultimately how you get what you want. And it's how you use it uh, that determines, you know, who knew your Eric makeup. Clapton was right all along. <laughs> right. It's in the way that you use it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So any other, I feel like we're, we're, we have, uh, we're given this film the love it deserves and who knows, maybe on Netflix, a lot more people are watching it. Maybe a lot of, maybe there's a, there's a whole subset of people who just already have watched this film and are like, what are you talking about? The world isn't wrong about this. But so if you know where that club is, we'd like to be invited. Basically, everyone I know that have seen it loves it. And everyone that I forced to watch it loves it. But it is definitely one of those movies that when I bring it up, people are like, huh? <sighs> Most people haven't heard of it. Um, and really, that was always the host for me. Uh and it, you know, is less so now that Bog Juno won big, uh, rightfully won um, Parasite because for Parasite, which those of us who have been following him forever, you know, all the people that had never heard of him, going, "What the hell? This doesn't make sense." Those of us who watch his movies, yeah, obviously but you know, like, like Kubrick doesn't have a does still doesn't you know never got a, an Academy Award. Not, right, not right. to not to downplay it, but it's, no. it's one of those things where you know, hear on the world is wrong. We're a big believer in films that don't get nominated or win. But you know, well, you were yes. on our Oscars episode. It was yes. you know no exactly. And the thing is, all those wins kept him from being on our Oscars episode. Think of how how much you could have raved about Parasite. But that was the one movie, and it took over a decade. Yeah, for people to realize his genius, because. Okja, The Host, Snowpiercer, all of those movies, in my personal opinion, are just as brilliant and groundbreaking as Parasite. Have you seen Mother? It's just no one was, yeah, but no one was paying attention. Yeah. Like all of those films, and but no one was paying attention. Um, Including me. Sorry, yeah. sorry people. <laughs> But I've, I, you know, I recognized it in the host immediately. I was like, this is, yeah, you're right. This it's is all, one of right the single there. best, single best directors ever. I mean, it's, it's always been there. He didn't have to learn it or, or grow into it. It was, it almost feels like his point of view was finely tuned from the minute he started making movies, um, which is so beautiful. And I, I love that the world was surprised by Parasite because that means so many more people now get to go back and discover all these movies they were wrong about. Uh, yeah. And this is absolutely one of them. Um, I also feel very strongly about Snowpiercer. It, it, it got very horribly treated. That was his first American release. And I will still stand by the fact that that is an utterly brilliant and genius film that was not given its credit uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, Tilda Swinton in that movie as well has been one of my goal Halloween costumes for years. <laughs> is to do her in the white coat with the boot on her head. Um, 
it, I just, I, I just, I adore him. And I really do feel like while Ukja is also a terrifying horror film and one of his scariest, when you really, really look at what he's exploring, it's also simultaneously one of his sweetest films in just that relationship between her and Okja. And it's, it's so, it's so lovely. And yeah. while it's, you know, horrific, it, there's also just so much beautiful sweetness in that relationship. You know, we, you don't get that in the host. <laughs> you don't, you don't get the sweetness between the, the sewer monster and the, the trapped girl. Um, you know, what's so strange though is, that because I watched the host after I watched Okja. Oh, did you watch it recently? Yeah. Like, okay. just like, I went on a full. I, I had seen Snowpiercer before, so I didn't rewatch that and I saw Parasite. But when I saw Parasite, I didn't even connect it with Snowpiercer. So I right. was. This, I gave myself a, a crash course in Bong Joon Ho this, this week. Thank you. Like, <laughs> you're welcome. Look at how much better my life is because yes. of you. It, it, seriously, I, <laughs> no, hey. is, I, I'm not joking. He is my favorite director. Uh, and I know that my life is personally better from viewing his movies. So like, I, I really do try to force in the sweetest, kindest way his movies on everyone I know if they haven't heard of them. Um, and I, I was at the Parasite premiere at Fantastic Fest and and he was there in person and seeing him in person and just having a moment where I passed him and we locked eyes and he just looked at me and I didn't say hi to him. I didn't tell him what his movies mean to me, but we just had a slight moment where we were two of the only people outside during a quiet moment and our eyes locked and I could tell he could just tell and it just... It meant everything to me just being able to see him in the flesh because how much he's brought to my life. And I know that may sound utterly insane to some people because I didn't even shake his hand and I didn't actually talk to him. But just having that moment meant, oh, I I feel so silly because I'm getting choked up. But it meant the world to me because his films have given me so much. And as we have learned, sharing air, yes, just sharing the same air in, an, in a closed space with someone is an intimate interaction. And uh, I've definitely had similar experiences mm -hmm. where it was just, wow, I'm in the same room. Like I can feel the energy off of that person who, and this may, whatever, this is creepy in some ways if you want to see it that way. But this person who has had such a profound effect yeah. on me, the energy yep. of them that I am or the energy that I am projecting upon them is right. so intense that I don't want to put yep. them through that. That would be really unfair because they're just hanging. But I'm just going to on. I'm just going to yep. be whatever. I'm going to surrender to the fact that I'm a little bit of a creep and I'm going to stand in the corner and just be like. Oh my God! I'm in the same room as Paul McCartney. Right, um, right. I I had that with George Romero. He knows what it, he knows that he's Paul McCartney. Yeah, I'm not freaking him out. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. I had that with George Romero. I didn't wait in his line at a con, but I 
just stand and st- <laughs> a safe distance and watched him interact with others because I was like, this is what I can do safely without losing it. <laughs> and it felt it. I felt it. It was that same experience where you're just like, oh, my God, the energy. Oh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Okay, and so the other thing about this film, and this is a kind of a crazy synchronicity, is <clears throat> that it's co-written by John Ronson. And John Ronson wrote Frank, the film we covered at the beginning of the season. And I knew I loved that film, and I'd read about him, and I kind of, I, I sort of had heard the name, but I hadn't really connected all the dots and then for the release of that episode I was doing the posts for Instagram because it's Brian's uh, birthday week so he takes the week off and I do the Instagram posts usually he does the Instagram posts right 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 and I you had just mentioned Okja and when I go to tag John Ronson because he's he has an Instagram account Mm -hmm. I should be following that I don't know why I'm not I'm a huge fan well so he so basically he uh i tagged him and he said something nice about it and i said something kind of snarky i didn't mean it snarky uh, he's like oh this is great i really liked it and he's like and i was like well this is crazy because we're going to be covering okja in just a, a couple of weeks and so i guess the world is wrong about you and he's like <laughs> actually i'm doing just fine and so i wrote to him and was like uh, on the the private and right, was like, hey right. didn't mean to insult you the world, the world being wrong about you is a is a compliment in our books, and he's like, "Oh, no problem. I, I really dug your episode." Oh, I'm sure and he then, understood that. <laughs> yeah. So basically, so uh, so now I'm interacting with this person who has written two films that are phenomenal, like really, like Frank. Sort of like I was saying about the performances. You can take a bad, an okay script, and if, and if you direct it right, you can make it into a good movie, or you can have a great script, and if you mess it up, you can doesn't matter if it was great. But when it's pitch perfect, yeah, then the screenplay is not making any mistakes, yep. and it's yep. also pitch perfect. So, and in both these films, Frank and Okja, that's the feeling I got, and. Not in any way that was uh, look at me either. No, like very. No. Like I, I wouldn't have thought of them as being similar if I didn't see the name. But then seeing the name, I there's a similar quality in that neither of them does anything wrong. Correct. <laughs> Which is a yes. in itself in in a movie is a very a very high bar to achieve. So then I told you about this and you uh, it turns out you are even a bigger fan uh, well I'm like like with Bong Joon-ho I guess I'm late to the party on John Ronson but you're an actual fan uh, so huge tell me about it so uh well he some people may know this uh, others may not he writes a lot of books um and I am very familiar with his books and in particular one of my favorite books ever of all time um, is by him and it's called The Psychopath Test and it really really comes across a lot of the research that he did for The Psychopath Test very clearly was utilized when writing this script (laughs) because The Psychopath Test if you're not familiar with this book is all about how 
there's this theory that just this there's only I forget the exact percentage, but the exact percentage of psychopaths in the world is is very small. Um, but there's a theory that because of their specific attributes, this very small section of the world's population actually rules a majority of it because of the way their brains are wired as psychopaths. And this book is brilliant. A one, everyone should read it just as for its comments and statements on society and, uh, psychiatry and and all of that in general it's just a brilliant book but also on a personal note I have really terrible chronic anxiety and gad uh and OCD and ADHD I have I have a lot of things I am treated I am on medications that manage them um but at the time that I read this book I had not found the right uh, combination of medicine. So I was, my anxiety was really, really controlling me at that point in my life. And I had actually been having a constant panic attack for two years um, when I read this book. And the beginning of the book broke me in a good way because I felt seen in a way and heard in a way that I never really had specifically in relation to my anxiety because of the way that John Ronson wrote about his anxiety and his struggles with uh, anxiety and the depression that comes from crippling anxiety. And I'd never in my life read anyone describe it so accurately to where I was like, oh my God, yes, this to the point that it has been my, like, if there's anyone in my life that isn't understanding my struggles or what I, what I go through with the level of anxiety that I have, I have them read this very specific portion that he wrote in the beginning of the book where he is brutally honest about what his brain goes through. In order to be like, this, this is it. This is how I feel. I'd never been able to write it out acutely. And he took everything I wanted to try to explain to people about what I was going through. And he just hit the nail on the head. And it has meant so much to me. Because um, as many people know, when you feel seen regardless of what you need to be feel seen for, you feel less alone. And while I knew other people had anxiety, I had lots of friends that had anxiety. I'd read about it. I talked about it a million times, but there was something about the way that he was able to articulate it that was so akin to my personal experience that it legitimately changed my life. And shortly thereafter, I had a massive breakdown and then was able to finally get the help that I needed. Um, 
but yeah, I, I love his work <laughs> a lot. I, I, I think he brings a lot of himself to what he writes. Um, and, and that's why it feels so genuine because he is so brutally honest and unafraid of talking about his weaknesses. Um, and it, you know, I, I write and, you know, I act and I, you know, I am, a I'm a creator. I'm in the artistic field. And to be able to see someone else who's also in the artistic field that has also had their anxiety control them in such a horrible way um, and still be able to create through it is very inspiring for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm a I'm his work means a lot to me. I really do. Uh, and I highly, highly suggest specifically anyone who hasn't read the psychopath test to read the psychopath test. Um it is also a horror novel in the way that it makes you a little terrified for society. <laughs> but it it is it's a really incredible and insightful book. Point taken. John Ronson, good. Yes. Psychopaths, not so much. Not so much. But but, but actually there you know, I guess we need them. But here's the thing though, there's a this is why you need to read the book because there's a spectrum and not Every psychopath uses their sociopathic tendencies for evil. And just because you're a sociopath, it doesn't mean that you are inherently going to be Wait, sociopath is there there's a difference. Sociopath and psychopath. They're not they're not the same thing. They're not the right? same. Okay. I that those are two groups of people I don't want to offend. No, well, you can't actually. <laughs> That's part of their that's part of their 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 makeup. Uh, they aren't affected, but what by what you and I say, really? Well, see, okay. Well, you know what? I maybe I don't have a problem with those with them because it's people who get offended that are usually the right. the root of most of my problems. So, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, right on. Okay, well, you, here you are making an argument for psychopaths, sociopaths, and books about them. Oh, oh, wait. There was one last thing that has to be mentioned that I wanted to make sure we brought up and I forgot and I'll make it really, really quick. Go for it. We've talked a lot about Mija and, and Grandpa and, and Alf and Mirando, but we haven't really spoken much about Akja herself. And the thing I want to point oh, out right. is that what makes Akja such endearing and real character despite it being obviously cgi um is that they used a real actor to voice okja um and lee juang in does an absolutely stellar job as the voice of okja um and by voice <laughs> i mean she, animal voice. There's no, you know, Ultra doesn't talk like human words. Oh, except for that beautiful but... musical number where where they, <laughs> Ultra sings a duet with Mija in the forest after the big action adventure thing. Oh, I would have, 
I would give anything for that to have actually been in the movie. If, the, if, if that beautiful hug, if, it, if there was that beautiful hug, and then oh. all of a sudden, Oksha starts to sing. It's freaking out. Oh, my God. That would be so brilliant. Um, that makes me want to see this as a musical. Why is no one making Okja a stage <laughs> Okja's a musical? musical. That would be awesome. Oh, oh. I, you know what? I, I was already, I'm sorry. Now, um, so I, in my mind, I just kept hearing Okja as uh, Billy Squire's Stroke Me. Uh, oh, no. Okja, Okja. Oh, <laughs> Okja. And the way she says, like, Okja, the way she says it. You could sample that and put that in. <laughs> and that's a real missed opportunity, I feel like. <laughs> yes. And that's yes. what they could have danced uh, to in the, in yeah, the fourth. It would have been, been beautiful. That would have been terrible. I'm not actually suggesting really this. This is just the things. A great movie makes you wonder on it. Oh, 100%. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne, to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. One dream, one wish, one piece of mind. A podcast hosted by Nico White about One Piece by Acherio Oda on Paper House Network. We'll see you every Monday. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Eight notes, scale an octave. Master the scale, and you master the score. Great interview. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's funny, the last episode, you talked about Tim Conway and Don Knotts movies. And there's the, do you remember their movie, The Private Eyes? Uh, remember where they're like detectives in, a, in sort of like an Agatha Christie sort of thing? Vaguely, vaguely, perhaps. But there, but there's a character in it that's a pig man that Tim Conway calls a muk, a muklar, I believe, and he has this theory about this pig guy, <laughs> another like genetically engineered pig person or pig monster <laughs> named Muklar, another great Wrongtober pick. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the private eyes. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. So, well, there there are a few things. There's a couple of little corrections that I need to make. One is that there was an actor who we referenced who plays the liaison between the farmers and the corporation, and he's an actor who's been in several of Bong Joon-ho's films. His name is Byun-hee Bong. I think I'm pronouncing that right, Byun-hee Bong. 
and we didn't uh, I didn't have that name at the ready during the show, so I wanted to correct that. And I also needed to correct I related a Buddhist parable during that episode, but I totally butchered it. And so since I have <laughs> I went and found the correct one. I just wanted to share it here so that people who are fans of Buddhism <laughs> aren't going to get offended. So here is the parable of the jewel in the robe. It tells of an impoverished man who goes to visit a close, wealthy friend, not his grandmother, as I said when I was talking earlier. (laughs) Uh, Being treated to wine, he becomes drunk and falls asleep. The wealthy friend must go out on business, but before leaving, he sews a priceless jewel into the lining of his sleeping friend's robe. When the poor man awakens, he has no idea that he has been given the jewel. He then sets out on a journey. To provide himself with food and clothing, he searches with all his energy, encountering great hardship. Being always in want, he is content with whatever little he can obtain. Later, he happens to meet his old friend, who is shocked at his poverty, and shows him the jewel in the robe. The man realizes for the first time that he possesses a priceless jewel and is overjoyed. And this is a parable that relates to the idea that we all have enlightenment within us and we're walking around with this jewel in our robe that we're unaware of. So uh, that's re- that's that parallel is in the film with the golden pig. And I want to get your take on Bong Joon-ho. So I haven't seen a lot. I, like it's a sad kind of gap for me. Like I feel bad that I haven't watched more of his stuff. Um, but what I've seen is really good. The first one I saw was Memories of Murder, which is incredible. Like, have you said, did you watch that one yet? I have not seen That's, that one yet. It's really good because it's basically like, it's very, very much like Zodiac, the David Fincher movie, where it's just like a really good, slow, methodical sort of like procedural, like how to try to catch this serial killer sort of movie. And the the tension in there is so good, and the filmmaking is so top notch. Like I highly recommend, if no one's seen it, to watch Memories of Murder. It's very very scary, very good. That would be a great Rongtober movie. Um, <clears throat> and then Snowpiercer, which I love, because I love any movie that has a video game plot, and that movie totally feels like a video game, where it's like going from one train car to the other, slowly moving your way to the big boss at the end. I love movies that are plotted like Donkey Kong. And that movie's so good. And it's and it's also nice to see Chris Evans not in a Marvel movie and realize that he's actually a really good actor. So yeah, that's uh those are the two that I've seen. And I like I didn't see Parasite. I haven't seen um The Host. Like I need I haven't seen Mother. Like I really like it's definitely on my list. And of course you know just like how you are, I'm my list is very long. <laughs> so being a movie fan means that you're always kind of behind because there's so much to watch in this world. But he's definitely like coming up on my list of like, I need to watch the rest. Because you can tell just in the two that I saw that it's someone with a very unique take and someone who is going to, I think, keep making great things. He's just going to be one of those directors that you can trust that'll make something that's not just some cash grab, you know? Um or if he made a cash grab, it'll be a very fascinating cash grab. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited to keep... I'm definitely 
I know I need to watch Parasite. It's that th weird thing of if it won Best Picture, I run away from it. So <laughs> I need to overcome that. I'm wrong about that. I need to run to Parasite. I think I feel, based on other people's opinions, that was one of the years where the Oscars got it right. So I need to I need to do it. Yeah, I need to watch it again, having kind of got my mind a little bit into getting Bong Joon-ho's cinematic language. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. You know what? Yeah, go back and see this film. There is, there's so much good, joyful, wonderful stuff in it. It really, it's, it shouldn't be a film that is, that gets a reputation as a downer because it is so not. <laughs> That's definitely the reputation it has. So I'm going to watch a not downer movie. Yeah, then with that this. is, that's, well, that's good. You know, what's good to know. Well, and I, this is the other part that we got into in the interview is the John Ronson connection because he wrote Frank and he wrote Oksha or co-wrote Oksha. I think he probably co-wrote Frank as well. Um, but uh, I hadn't, sort of connected the dots and Jen helped me connect the dots in the interview. But this guy is such an interesting person. And those two films have such a tone. It makes me very excited to dig into his work some more. He also wrote the book that uh, men who stare at goats was based upon. Did you see that film? Oh. No, I didn't. It looked, I, did you see that? It looked sort of like it was trying to do like a Coen brothers thing. But it's not a Coen Brothers thing. Or maybe they produced it. I don't know. I've seen it, it twice. Like, I saw it when it came out, and I just went, I went back and rewatched it. And it is a very... I think it's better... It, it was good then, but I think it's better now. Just because everyone who's in it, we were, there was sort of a little bit of an overload of George Clooney and Ewan McGregor and Jeff Bridges. And now, looking back, at, it's like, oh, well, that's actually... It's good. To, it's more fun to see them than it was the year that this came, that it came out. And the story is really, is a true story and is wild and is, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And he also did Stanley Kubrick's Boxes, which I haven't seen. Are you? What's, oh, is that the documentary where yeah. they went through his like archives or whatever? Yeah. Okay. And have you seen that? No. No, neither. I, I've been trying to track that one down and it's been hard for me to find. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he writes, seeing other films that he has written or is going to write, because I think he mostly fo uh, focuses on his books. But if you if you take Men Who Stare at Goats, which I don't, I don't which I don't think he did write, Stanley Kubrick's Boxes, Frank and Oakja, that's a very intriguing start to my explorations. So. More on and him he's well too. on his way to being in the World is Wrong Hall of Fame at the end of this year. Oh, yes. Very much so. <laughs> okay, well, uh, just want to let you all know, please uh, please do write to us if you want to take us to task for how, how far behind we are on the Bong Joon-ho train. Although we both have seen Snowpiercer, so we, we're okay on the train stuff. But in general, <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. With Bong Joon-ho, you want to take us to task about that? Please write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. Also, if you want to say wonderful things about Jen's performance or appearance on the show, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll sing those praises. So if you're any Jen Brown fans out there, you want to write about how excited you are that we had her on the show, please do. You can also find all of our episodes at 
theworldiswrongpodcast.com. And you can also find us on social media. We have two accounts. One, we have our Instagram account, which is what Brian kind of runs over there for all the people who want to look at the nice pictures and the video. And <laughs> I handle the Twitter account where we argue about despicable <laughs> artists and the and the wrongness of the world. No, we try and avoid that. Try and keep it positive for... Uh, for us and our 33 followers, if you'd like to, if you'd like to add to that number, come over and find us at World Is Wrong Pod on on Twitter. And of course, uh, let's see. But, but, oh, we should also mention that you have another podcast called The Director's Wall, where people can check you out with AJ yes. Gonzalez talking about the films of yes. Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, but this month of Wrongtober, we are taking a break from Coppola and we're going to cover M night Shyamalan's old oh. for wrong for because it's horror, it's scary. And because the season before Coppola, we did Shyamalan. So we have to do a follow up, and it just happens to be a horror movie. So that's going to be the episode coming out sometime this month might already be up by the time this plays. I don't know, but definitely somewhere in this month that episode is going to drop. And I'm very excited. And for those of you who are interested, you can always go and check out the many episodes that exist of Radio 8 Ball, my other podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. And next week, we got a really, really scary film for you. A very exciting episode. Brian, you want to tell us what it is? Don's Plum! Woo! Yeah, a very, very frightening film. You may have heard of it, and if you have, then you know that it's a film what? that is shrouded in controversy. And if you haven't heard of it, then you're going to on our next episode, where I'll be speaking with one of the film's writer-producers, uh, Dale Wheatley. And awesome. that is a name that perhaps strikes fear into the heart of many in Hollywood <laughs> who are afraid of the story he has to tell. <laughs> we will not be stopped. So get ready. I don't know if you it's 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 not an easy film to find, but check it out. Find it. You know, do what you can to to track it down. It's not really available in the United States, but uh, but there are ways to track down copies. And so if you are uh, if you're of a mind to do so, go for it and maybe look under Toby Maguire's bed and look in. <laughs> Like in the like a hole in the back of Leonardo DiCaprio's yard. This is getting terrifying. <laughs> this movie, I'm yeah. getting scared. Uh, yeah. Well, check it out. It's a it's a, an, another entry into our exploration of of Wrongtober. And I guess uh, I guess that that brings us to a close. This uh, this happy little scary little episode about Oksha and. Uh, and well, everything it entails. And, of course, we need to thank the fabulous Jen Brown for being a guest on the show. I mean, really, you're the one who should be thanking her. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> now, I think it's great that she keeps coming back. I feel like that's going to it's gonna keep happening. And it's good. She's now secured her place in the 2022 Oscars. So, 
Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, we hope that we'll be able to get her back now that her show Genre Graveyard has been picked up by Roku. Who knows? She could be, you know, this could be the last time she, she even returns our phone calls. So I'm glad we got this in before, before it was too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, Brian. <laughs> what? You didn't watch the movie. You didn't even, you didn't do the show with me. Anyway, no, it's, I'm, you know, I don't want to make you feel bad. This is the price to pay to be the mayor of Austin, Texas. Yeah. I'm a busy man. I'm a busy man. You are. And that's the price I pay for staying in Olympia where nobody wants to do, have anything to do with me. So I have plenty of time <laughs> to work on this podcast. So uh, I guess who better than me to to be the one to to be the bearer of such sad news. But as you probably know by now, if you've been listening to this podcast, the world is wrong. And... It's probably wrong about you. My name is Jay. Jen and Jay? And Kato, go ahead. I'm red. Silver. I'm blonde. I'm Mija. This is Ocha. We are animal lovers. We rescue animals from slaughterhouses, zoos, labs. We tear down cages and set them free. This is why we rescued Okja. Thank you very much. For 40 years, our group has liberated animals from places of abuse. We meant that. Is that it? Yeah. Go on. It's very important. She gets every word. It's, it's all right. That's it. We inflict economic damage on those who profit from their misery. We reveal their atrocities to the public, and we never harm anyone human or non-human. That is our 40-year credo. What was the second thing you said? We reveal their trust. Are you okay, Silver? I'm fine. You okay? I'm good. I'm... He still hasn't eaten anything? No, he's, uh, he's still trying to leave the smallest footprint on the planet that he can. All food production is exploitative. Try this. Mm -mm. Come on, it's just a tomato. Ripen in ethylene gas, transport it in trash. I admire your conviction, Silver, but your pallid complexion concerns me. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Okay, so there is one thing 
we we shared before this whole before we recorded all of this. Uh, so I, when I watched Oksha last night for the second time, I was watching it with my girlfriend who was traumatized by it. Like she was just like, it's a, a you know you see a film for the first time and it moves you, and then you were seeing it for the second time and I'm sort of taking notes and I turn around and she's shaking and crying and it's like that was me. Really... That was me the first yeah. time I saw this movie. Yeah. It traumatized yeah. the fucking piss out of me. <laughs> right. So, and then afterwards, I was just sort of sort of consoling her. So I didn't stop the film and it ran till the end. And then there was this whole end scene, sort of like at the end of a Marvel movie, a little teaser scene that I had not looked for. And then when I, and it's great. And then when I got you on the phone today, I asked you if you'd seen it and you hadn't. And so you watched it. And... Yeah. It's so so if you if you have if you've watched the film, you may not have if you didn't watch till the very end, you really should have because yes. this last scene really ties yep. it doesn't really tie it all together, but emotionally you get one more taste of the ALF and mm -hmm. it's really simple, but it's really great. And you uh, the tie off a little bow is they add a sixth member to their group, which is played by Jihoon Park. And he was the sort of yes! stoned uh, driver who was, and I, I, I hate that I don't know the name of this actor because he's the one, of, the one actor who's worked uh, a lot, I think, uh, at least more times with uh, Bong Joon-ho. Uh, but the, basically the guy who was, who was the liaison between the farmers that uh, Mija is part of and <clears throat> and the company, the Mirando Corporation, the guy who sells them out and gets pooped on, and he's sort of a comedic character, and he's great. But the, his driver, who's really great through the whole scene, through in the scene where yes. he sort of turns on him, he shows up at the end as the new member of the ALF, and it's so great to have him show up again because he was the one guy I was thinking, God, I, I, I feel like I, I could have had, I could have had a little bit more of him, and then you got it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Because he steals the movie in that bit where he's yeah. like, Miranda's fucked. 